Good morning. Amen. It's good to be here with you. Welcome to Two Rivers Church. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, my name is Jason and my wife, Lindsay, here are um, joy, our joy, our privilege is to uh, pastor this church uh, with many people that are partners uh, with us in this mission that God has uh, called us to this city uh, to be a part of. And so if this is uh, maybe your first time or even second time, a welcome uh, from us to you. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to the book of Daniel? Uh, we are in a, a series in Daniel. Uh, in uh, this month, we're going to be in Daniel 4 and 5 today. And we've entitled the series, Stand Up, Stand Out. Uh, what does it look like for a humble, courageous faith uh, to stand up and stand out in this world. Uh, today, uh, specifically, we are looking at chapter four and five, and we're gonna look at two testimonies today. And so we're gonna juxtapose a testimony in chapter four of uh, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. And we've been talking and learning about Nebuchadnezzar over the last few weeks. And then there's a new king that comes on the scene. Nebuchadnezzar passes away. And nine years later, there's another king in the ancient empire of Babylon that comes on the scene in chapter five, and his name is Belshazzar. Not to be confused with Daniel's Babylonian name. So Daniel is the Hebrew name. Belteshazzar is his Babylonian name. Bel is the name of a Babylonian king. So the Babylonian empire was polytheistic. It was not monotheistic, poly, many theistic, theism, God, many gods. And so it's a pagan polytheistic culture. And so when Daniel and his three friends come over from uh, Jerusalem, when Judah was overtaken by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian empire, they were renamed uh, different names. Belshazzar in chapter five is similar to Daniel's Babylonian name, which is Belteshazzar, but those are uh, different people. And so we're gonna look at those two uh, king's testimonies today uh, in let me give you some historical context as we get into uh, these two chapters. Um, these chapters took, took place many years after chapter three. So last week we talked about that famous story of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. Uh, that story ended with Daniel, actually, or not Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar giving praise to the Hebrew God. And what we talked about last week was uh, that he wasn't serving and worshiping uh, the Hebrew God as the one and only true God. He was just adding the Hebrew God to many of his other polytheistic gods. But so as chapter three ends, he was not a follower and a believer of Yahweh alone. Many years passed between chapters three and chapter four. Now in chapters four and five, Daniel is an old man. He's 70, 80 years old as we get to the narrative today. And so he will come up again in these, in these um, stories, uh, in both of these stories. Um, chapter five, we think about Belshazzar. Um, he, he became the king nine years after Nebuchadnezzar died. There was a number of obscure kings in that empire that were kings, but nine years after Nebuchadnezzar dies at the end of chapter four, uh, Belshazzar comes on the scene. And what he's, what he's doing is he is moving this polytheistic culture back to polytheism. He is trying to undo what Nebuchadnezzar does in chapter four, which is the worship of Yahweh alone. And we'll talk about that um, as we get into chapter four. Um, today's theme, we've talked about a few different themes over the uh, course of the last few weeks. Uh, one of those themes is uh, resting and trusting in the sovereignty of God. We talk about like the theology of sovereignty brings comfort and rest 
to our souls. We've talked about the theme of what does it look like as we look at Daniel and his three friends to operate in a humble and courageous faith in exile. Uh, What does it look like even for us in our lives to have a humble and courageous faith in these days? The theme today is this, God exalts the humble and he humbles the proud. God exalts the humble, he also humbles the proud. Um, And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at these two chapters. Uh, We won't read uh, all of the verses. There's a lot of verses in these two chapters, uh, but I'll summarize a bit. We'll read a little bit. We'll talk about that. And then at the end of our time, as we did last week, uh, I will invite you to consider some relevant um, things for you and I and us in our lives uh, today. So as we get into chapter four, I want you to visualize Nebuchadnezzar standing up here. He's gonna give you his testimony. Remember, chapter three, he was was amazed that he puts these three young men in the fiery furnace and there was a fourth who looked like the son of the gods. We believe that that is a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ supernaturally showing up on the scene. That was last week. He is amazed and he, he celebrates this reality Uh, But he wasn't a believer in only Yahweh. So that ends chapter three. As chapter four begins, it begins with him praising God and his greatness. And so imagine him spending time with us today. And he's going to start with, I got to start by telling you about the goodness and the greatness of God. I was brought to the very end of myself. And I'm gonna tell you the story about how God broke down my pride and opened my eyes to true faith. And I'm gonna tell you again how great and powerful and wonderful God is. Because now in chapter four, years after chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar is a follower. He is a believer of the Hebrew God alone. Here are the circumstances. If you know the book of Daniel, you know this is a wild story. Uh, If you don't know the book of Daniel, uh, get ready for an exciting ride today as we look at the circumstances that happen in Nebuchadnezzar's life. So if you remember in chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar has this big dream and it's very perplexing for him. And Daniel comes in and interprets the dream for him. Chapter four, all these years later, is another dream vision that Nebuchadnezzar has that is perplexing him. And it's interesting as you read the narrative, and I would encourage you to do this later, go read the whole narrative. He brings in all these magicians and astrologers and uh, various wise men of the Babylonian empire to, to, uh, to interpret it. But he doesn't bring in Daniel initially. We don't know why he didn't bring in Daniel initially, but uh, the text doesn't tell us why. Uh, It's interesting that he doesn't, but the text ultimately says, at last, at last, Nebuchadnezzar brings in, finally brings in Daniel to interpret the dream. Here's the visual of the dream. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar is telling you that he's gonna tell you this testimony. Visual of the dream is this, this huge tree. He has this dream about this massive Tree And it grew right in the midst of the earth and its height was great. And it grew and grew and grew and it became strong and its top reached the heavens. This is the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And he says in the dream, it was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Pause. Uh, the Bible often uses um, imagery like trees to describe a kingdom. 
And so this isn't just consistent with Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel 4. Lots of times in the scriptures, we see trees being used to describe a kingdom. And we think about the book of Daniel, it is apocalyptic literature like the book of Revelation. They, um, Daniel and Revelation are describing things that are happening in the eschaton. Eschaton means the end or the last time. And so in apocalyptic literature like Revelation and like Daniel, oftentimes we see uh, language like hyperbole or symbolic imagery to create a visual in our minds to make a point. That's what's happening in chapter four. As the story unfolds or as um, chapter four continues, There's in this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, there's this angelic messenger that comes on the scene. So Nebuchadnezzar, this vision, this dream, he sees this tree. And then in the dream, there's this angelic messenger that comes. And this is what the angel says. The tree is to be chopped down, but a stump is to remain. This tree that is visible to the whole earth is gonna be cut down Uh, but there's gonna be a stump that remains and its roots are going to remain. And then the angel says this in the dream, verse 16, Daniel 4, let his mind, whose mind? So the tree is representative of the Babylonian empire. The tree specifically is representative of King Nebuchadnezzar himself. And so when the angel comes in verse 16 and says, let him, it's speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times, scholars tell us that seven years, till seven years pass by for him. So Nebuchadnezzar, the dream is the kingdom is gonna be cut down. His mind, he's literally going to go crazy and his mind is gonna change from a man to an animal. Finally, at last, Daniel is brought in to interpret this dream that is perplexing and terrifying Nebuchadnezzar. And so verse 19 and following is Daniel interpreting the dream. And so we'll start by reading uh, these verses. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, remember Daniel's the Hebrew name, Belteshazzar is his Babylonian name, was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. We don't know for sure but we, uh, about Daniel's relationship with Nebuchadnezzar, but we do know that he had been put in the king's court. He had been put in a position of authority uh, because of what had happened earlier in the narrative. And so maybe there's some tenderness, maybe that Daniel, maybe I'm sure Daniel's been praying for Nebuchadnezzar for years and years. And so this dream is pretty terrifying to him about the divine judgment of God toward Nebuchadnezzar. And then he says in verse 20, the tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beast of the field and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air. You, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. You, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump, 
bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched, let him, let Nebuchadnezzar be drenched with the dew of the heavens. Let him live like the wild animals until seven times have passed by for him. This interpretation, O king, and this is, this is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the, with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its root means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind or showing mercy to the oppressed it may be that then your prosperity will, will continue. And so Daniel, he is dismayed at this interpretation because for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar will suffer humiliation. His mind will become like an animal and he will act like it, uh, dwelling among the wild animals and eating the grass like cattle. What's the purpose What's the purpose of this severe mercy of God or this divine judgment? What's the purpose of this severe mercy that Nebuchadnezzar would come through? It's, the purpose is in verse 25. And so if you are an underliner or a note taker, I would invite you to circle or underline verse 25 because this is the purpose of the severe mercy of God is to get Nebuchadnezzar to a place to repent and see that he is not sovereign in his pride, but that the Lord God is sovereign only, that heaven rules until you acknowledge the most highest sovereign, that is the purpose. We read the story and at first glance we read it and we go, man, this feels like harsh judgment. I mean, this king is literally going to behave like an animal for seven years. And so uh, what I wanna point out to you is a couple of places in this story that show really clearly the grace and the mercy of God to get someone's attention like Nebuchadnezzar, an evil king who has done evil things over and over, even that person is never too far gone for the grace and the mercy of God to bring redemption and restoration into uh, his life. Nebuchadnezzar certainly had been full of pride. He built a statue, a a a monument, 90 feet in the air. He is a self-proclaimed deity. He believes he is a God walking in the earth. And so the cutting down of the tree certainly represents the breaking down of his pride. And the seven-year period was the severe mercy of God, the divine discipline, the judgment of God to bring him to a place of resentment. Let me point out uh, this to you because I think it's Again, the emphasis of the day, God not only exalts the humble, which he had been doing in chapters one and two and three with Daniel and his three friends, he not only exalts the humble, but he also humbles the proud. We would be wise to consider 
these things in our lives. This is a consistent theme, by the way, not just in Daniel, but throughout the scriptures. Um, Here's a couple of places that I wanna make sure that you're seeing that the severe mercy of God, the disruptive grace of God is really so preeminent in this story. Let me read the next, the next verses. Verse, verse, 20, uh, verse 28, it says, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. This is, this is where the grace is and the first place of grace in the story. 12 months later, verse 29, 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, Daniel Daniel interprets the dream and then 12 months go by. There's an opportunity for him for over the course of 12 months to get himself to a place of, of stopping with his pride, stopping with his Uh, his own self-proclaimed deity and humbly bowing to the sovereignty of God, he doesn't do it. 12 months go by after the decree of Daniel until this happens. God desired repentance for Nebuchadnezzar, not suffering, and he gave him an opportunity to repent. He did not repent. Listen to what happens 12 months later in verse 30. He's walking around uh, on the roof in the royal palace and he said, like Toby Keith, remember that Toby Keith song, I wanna talk about me, wanna talk about I, wanna talk about number one, oh me, oh my, what I think. Anyone, any country music fans, anyone? <laughs> See, I like talking about you, you, you usually. There, there we go, there we go, okay. So think that song, think that song right now and listen to what Nebuchadnezzar is doing on the roof of his palace, verse 30. Then he said, is not this the great Babylonian, I have built as the royal residence by my, by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. 12 months go by, a period of grace for Nebuchadnezzar to repent and he did not repent. And then, Let's talk about the stump. Where you, what, what does the stump mean? So it cuts down and there's this stump and the roots are there and there's this iron over it. The stump, hear this, the stump of the tree is the grace of God. That is where the grace of God is in this story. The severe mercy of God, the grace of God is in the stump because full restoration is the promise The decree of the Lord comes like, this is going to happen to you if you don't repent. But even if this happens, there's still gonna be a stump left. And the stump is this, if you humble yourself and say, heaven rules, you will be fully restored. Uh, That phrase, heaven rules, is just, it's a Jewish way to say God rules. For someone to say heaven rules is a cry of surrender of trust that God is sovereign and I place my life under the sovereignty of God. And so a stump will remain over these seven years so that there would be a a promise of restoration and redemption for Nebuchadnezzar in his life. And that is exactly what happens in the story. The words, the Toby Keith song was being played on the balcony, he's singing the songs, verse 31, the words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar, your royal authority has been taken from you, you will be driven away from people and you will live with the wild animals and you will eat grass like cattle, seven times will pass by for you until, until you acknowledge the most high as sovereign over the kingdoms of men 
and gives them to anyone he wishes. Verse 33, immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails were like the claws of a bird. That's just kind of gnarly thinking about your nails growing that long, like really long. It's just, it's kind of gnarly. Verse 34, remember Nebuchadnezzar is up here telling you his testimony. He's telling you his testimony. This is how the severe mercy of God brought me to a place to get to the end of myself, repent of my arrogant pride and submit my life to heaven rules. And he's telling you his story. This is how God got my attention. And I'm so thankful for the severe mercy of God because if it wasn't for the, for the severe mercy of God, I would, not, I would not know that God, that Yahweh is the one true God. And he says in verse 34, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. I raised my eyes. I took my eyes off of myself. Finally, I took my eyes off of myself and I embraced humility and that God is sovereign. And my sanity was restored. Then I praised the most high God, I sang worship to God alone. I praised the most high and I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Verse 37, skip down a few verses. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. I say heaven rules in my life because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride he is able to humble. What a testimony. What a testimony of Nebuchadnezzar that God's goodness and grace coming through severe mercy and now, and now Nebuchadnezzar worships the one true God. Testimony one. Now let's look at testimony two, chapter five. The king who would come nine years after Nebuchadnezzar, and this story happens 23 years later. His name is Belshazzar. It is a different testimony. Thank you, JM. Uh, Belshazzar is attempting to undo, Belshazzar is attempting to do, um, undo everything that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So he becomes a follower of, of God alone. He begins to root out polytheism. He wants to create a monotheistic culture in the Babylonian empire because he has rejected his pride and he has confessed his worship of the Hebrew God. Well, Belshazzar is trying to undo all of that influence and he's leading the people back to polytheism. Now, as we read this story, I want you to know like the, the severe mercy of God, the grace and the severe mercy of God is just as prevalent in this story. It just looks a little different because God uses any, anything he wants to use to get our attention. So he's not gonna use the same thing that he used to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention, but he's still gonna use something supernatural, the severe mercy of God to get, Nebu or to get Belshazzar's uh, attention. And it's this, there's this like handwriter, like they're at this party, it's like this rager party. Let me, let me back up a second. So um, the Babylonian empire is about to be overthrown by Medo-Persia, which is what the prophecy stated in Daniel 2. 
It's what Daniel told um, Nebuchadnezzar in, in Daniel chapter two. That's actually unfolding now with Belshazzar as the king of Babylon. They're being overthrown. The, the, the reality is happening. And so to boost the morale of the people of his kingdom, Belshazzar throws this rager. And there is all kinds of debauchery going on in this rager. And so the severe mercy of God shows up at this crazy party that's happening. And there's a supernatural hand that shows up and begins writing on the wall. You ever heard the phrase, the handwriting is on the wall? That's where that phrase comes from, Daniel chapter five. The, the, the supernatural hand, the sovereign hand of God shows up. The handwriting was on the wall for Belshazzar, but he would not repent. God uses this to get his attention so that he too would repent and follow Yahweh. But the difference in the story is that while Nebuchadnezzar repented and ultimately trusted God, Belshazzar did not. He gets terrified. And who wouldn't get terrified? I mean, who wouldn't get terrified if a literal hand showed up and started writing on the wall? We'd all be terrified. And so uh, in his, uh, in his um, fear, he gets the queen mother, his mom, to come in. And he's like, Mom, what do we, what do, we do with this this thing that's happening, and she remembers there's this old guy named Daniel, and he, he interprets this kind of thing. And he's in his 80s now. We should go get him to come in and help us figure all this out. And so Daniel, once again, once again, Daniel comes in and begins to interpret this supernatural hand that's on the wall that's writing these Aramaic phrases that we'll read about in just a second. So again, severe mercy of God intended to get the attention of Belshazzar so that he would repent and trust in God alone. Here's the interpretation from Daniel 5, 22. Daniel says, but, but you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you. So when the Babylonian empire under King Nebuchadnezzar overthrew Jerusalem and Judah, they took all of the sacred elements out of the, out of the temple, uh, out of the holy of holies, and they brought them to Babylon. And so they're making a mockery of this. Uh, in uh, under Belshazzar, that's what he's referring to here. He said, you had the goblets from the temple brought to you and you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines, you drank wine from them and you praised the gods of silver and gold, this polytheism, this pagan polytheism again, you praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand, your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. And this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. It's uh, Aramaic. Here's what it means. This is what the word means. M-E-N-E, mene. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, T-E-K-E-L. You have been weighed on the scales and you have been found wanting. Parson, P-A-R-S-I-N, your kingdom is divided and is now given to the Medes and the Persians. And that happened historically. Medo-Persia came in and overthrew the Babylonian empire. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. 
But that very night, that very night, Belshazzar, the king of Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. In short, in short, this is God's message. This is God's message through Daniel to Belshazzar. You have grievously sinned over and over and you remain defiant in your pride. You will not repent. Therefore, now you come under my sovereign judgment and wrath. Two testimonies, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar. And both testimonies, God brings his severe mercy, his disruptive grace, so that they would repent and believe and be radically transformed. Nebuchadnezzar repented, humbled himself, and he was saved, restored, and exalted again. Belshazzar did not repent, and he came under God's wrath. Three points, three things of relevance that I think would be uh, helpful for us if we are humble enough to consider what could these stories, what could these two testimonies mean for me in my life today? Here's the first I would invite you to consider. Humble yourself before the Lord or be humbled. By the way, humility doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. It just means thinking of yourself less. It means placing God as the priority of your life. We still have dignity and honor. We're the sons and daughters of the most high king. Humility just says like, I'm not God and I need God. I need people and I'm gonna humble myself before the sovereignty of God. And I think this story certainly, both of these stories certainly tell us humble yourself before the Lord or be humbled. Again, both of these stories, grace is there. The opportunity is there. God in his disruptive grace and his severe mercy gives people an opportunity to humble themselves. I would, there's a few verses that you could write down and read later, but let me read this. Just uh, James 4, 6 through 8. James says, but he gives us more grace. You get opportunities of grace to repent. Don't miss it. That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Humble yourself before the Lord or be humbled. Number two, God brings restoration to anyone and everyone that humbles himself because of his mercy and grace. I would say it to you this way. No one, no one is ever too far gone for the mercy and the grace of God to reach them. Think about Nebuchadnezzar. Think about how much sin was in his life. Think about how much evil had transpired under his reign. And God still gives him an opportunity at the end of his life to repent and be saved. And he was saved and he was restored and he was exalted because of his humility. I wanna remind you of Peter's words, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. You you gotta understand and know God is patient with you, church. His grace and mercy is so patient with you. He is patient 
with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. Nebuchadnezzar's testimony gives great encouragement and hope for our lives and for the lives of people that we love and that we pray for all the time. The story of Nebuchadnezzar should give great encouragement to you to pray for them and trust that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever think, ask, or imagine. And God loves us so much that he will even bring in severe mercy to get people's attention so that they would repent and be saved. If you are in need of restoration today, humbly turn to God and trust him without delay. He will do it. He will save you. He will restore you. That is, his, that is his heart. That is what God does. Thirdly, and lastly this morning, um, what will Daniel's advice to the king in chapter four, verse 27, what, what does Daniel's advice to the king actually look like in your life? What does it look like in my life, in your life? Here's the, here's the advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right. Um, Doing right is right, practicing righteousness. Renounce your sins, break off, break off the sin in your life, break off the pride in your life and the sin in your life and practice righteousness. And break off wickedness by being kind or showing mercy to the oppressed. Daniel knew, he knew that it was in the king's best interest to repent and turn from his pride to humility, to turn from his sin, to practice what is doing right, to turn from oppressing people to showing mercy to people. He knew that that was in the king's best interest. And it's also in our best interest, church. It's in my best interest. It's in your best interest to shake off the sin that hinders us and to do what is right and practice righteousness. Amen? This is not a heavy yoke, by the way. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This isn't a heavy yoke. This is what happens in our lives when we get a revelation of God's goodness and grace and mercy. It changes us from the inside out and our life gets transformed, not because of legalism and guilt and shame and all that stuff, but because of desire to serve and honor God because we're so thankful for what God has done in our lives. He has saved us and redeemed us. And restored us. I closed um, last week with Colossians 3, and I want to bring you back to this to close again today. Let me read to you again Colossians 3, 1 to 3. Paul says to the church, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your hearts on heaven rules. Set your minds on things above. Set your heart on heaven rules. Also set your mind on heaven rules, not on earthly things. This is a, um, Paul is moving people to have an eternal perspective instead of an earthly perspective. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. The original Greek of this passage Uh, These verses that we just read carries a a real uh, tenacity of our mindset, a real intensity of the way we think about setting our minds and our hearts on the things above. It carries with it the idea of of diligently and actively with a single-minded purpose. 
pursue heaven rules. Submit yourself to heaven. It's, it's, there's just an intensity in the language that I just wanna make sure you understand. And secondly, it's also in the present tense. And what that means is um, that there's, a, there's an idea that this is uh, perpetually, perpetually happening in our lives, that it's always present in my life to be continually setting my mind and my heart on the things above and not on earthly things. Christians who maintain this kind of mindset, who maintain this kind of eternal perspective, like Daniel, like Hananiah, like Mishael, like Azariah, they are highly motivated. They are highly, highly motivated to serve God and seek his purposes in the time that God has given us on this earth. They're not highly motivated because a guy like me lathers you up with legalism and guilt and shame to tell you to go out and live life better. They're highly motivated because at the core of their being, they trust and believe in God. And because they trust and they believe in God and because their perspective is not earthly, but divine, they are highly motivated from the inside to be a conduit of that hope to people around them. And I pray that as we work through these stories and these narratives and this story in Daniel, that we too would take the baton of these faithful followers of God and that we, we would take our place to be those kind of humble yet courageous men and women who are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but would take our place to give testimony and bear witness to the goodness of God in our lives. I know that some of the stories in this room, I know my story, there's severe mercy in my own story things that I have walked through that, are, that were really difficult and hard. And I know that's true of others in this room, but I would give testimony to you. I'm so thankful uh, that God has used whatever he needed to use to bring me to a place of humility in my life and that I would sever and that he would continue to help me sever pride because pride creeps into my life, you guys, all the time, all the time. And I wanna be stirred like Daniel like, I keep calling them, by the way, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, because we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and those are their Babylonian names. So I'm kind of on a mission right now that we remember them by their Hebrew names like we remember Daniel. So by the way, that's why. I want you to remember them by their Hebrew names, not their Babylonian names. So that's why I keep saying Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They put their, their faith in their hands and in their feet. They didn't just talk about it. They lived about it. They put their faith in their hands and their feet. And this community, this world, it needs believers like us to put our faith also in our hands and our feet, not into ourself, not to us, oh God, but to your name, to your name be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Lord, do this in us, I pray. Do this in us, I pray, um, that we would be stirred that we would be stirred today by these two testimonies. Lord, the testimony of Belshazzar is a warning that we are blinded by our pride and the story of Nebuchadnezzar, that your severe mercy is your grace. It is your goodness to get our attention and that you will use anything 
to get us to a place to see that you are the sovereign one, Lord Jesus and King. We bless your name and we pray, Lord, as we worship, that we would worship with gratitude like Nebuchadnezzar when he tells his testimony, that we would praise the greatness of our God as a response to your word this morning in Jesus' name, amen.